What does next season look like with the Warriors' injuries? Can the Raptors keep this thing together? How will free agency shape up with so much uncertainty? The only question left is, say it with me, you win. fans, Coach Nick here, and welcome to the B-Ball Breakdown Podcast. Today, I am pleased to bring on friends, and it's plural, friends of the breakdown, Adam Stanko and Noah Kozlov. Noah Kozlov and Adam Stanko, the co-hosts of the Catch and Shoot Podcast on Pure Hoops, Pure Hoops Media. Guys, uh, Adam, let's hear your voice and see how you're doing today. I'm, I'm great. It's, it's awesome to uh, talk to you, and it's always great to talk to Noah. I'm, I'm having a great day. Right. Well, Noah, I, you know, are, are you okay coming on the show as a pair with your co-host? Yeah, I mean, the more time I get to spend with Adam, the better. So this, is, uh, this makes for a great week. Great, great. Well, I thought it'd be interesting to have you guys both on at the same time and see what happens because, you know, give you guys, your listeners, a little different view of how you guys interact with me. Um, and we have some things to talk about. I mean, the season is officially over, and I'm not even sure where you want, I want to drop, drop, jump off here because we have a lot of different storylines. I kind of feel like everyone's podcast today is going to be about maybe like Game 6 or the finals, what happened, and I think maybe it's interesting to talk about the Warriors and, and like, is this the end of their dynasty? Yeah, because I, I don't think anybody's going to be talking about that today. I do think that the Warriors now have the Too decision soon. to make with, with Clay and KD, and I also think that they offer them both the max, and then who knows? Next year, so say you don't have KD and Clay. And the Warriors then, maybe they're fighting to make the playoffs. And then the Warriors end up winning the lottery. And then the Warriors get the number one pick. And then we're right back to where the Warriors are right now. So I don't think next year, so say they don't make the playoffs. Or even, or, or maybe they do. Or maybe Steph gets hurt earlier in the season. And then you get a, a Spurs-David Robinson tank situation oh. where they end up with Tim Duncan. So I, I do think as crazy as game six was... We're setting ourselves up for an even crazier offseason and, and a wide open next season. The fact that you don't know who the favorite for the NBA championship is next year after this dynasty run that it's been automatic Warriors, that everything was rolling along so smoothly. <clears throat> Warriors have now lost Oracle. They've lost, they're going to lose DeMarcus Cousins. Uh, we likely KD, although now this obviously throws a wrench in it. And I want to talk about him specifically in a moment. And then, you know, Clay Thompson for at least the near future. I mean, it's wild to think about this team went from no one can come near them. It's unfair for the rest of the league to they just lost in the NBA finals. And now it couldn't be more bleak of a situation, um, you know, for Golden State. It's shocking to me. And the KD one specifically is incredible because what he decides to do and how the Warriors treat this. Uh, you talked about it. They're going to offer him the max. I would think. Wait, wait. But so you guys, that... wait, you guys think that they're going to offer him the max, which is also a multi-year deal, knowing that for a whole year he is not going to be suiting up for them at all. Do you really feel like that's going to happen? I think the Warriors are the most likely team. I mean, look, I think, I think the more I think about it, I think a lot of teams are going to jump in this and, and end up offering him the max, even though we know for a fact he's not playing next season. But I do think Warriors are actually probably the most likely team, in my estimation, to offer him the max because I think – you're talking about five years. They already He's already got a player option for next year, so they already could get screwed if he decides just to go for the 31 and a half next year as a, as a player option and not, and not play a, a minute. 
So I, I just think, and next year will be, I don't know what the number is for them, but I know for everyone else, like 38 in year one or something. But I think they offer him the max and sit it out and say, okay, we're already down with, with Clay. Why not? And I, I think Clay's going to return. But I don't think Kevin Durant decides to stay in Golden State. I didn't think so before. And while this does muddy the waters a bit, I don't think it necessarily changes his decision. Yeah, I think you got to play the PR game a little bit, and that is offering him that money. And if he ends up accepting it, they're going to have some massive bill. It's going to be, I mean, that's going to be like, you know, close to maybe a billion and a half uh, that's going to be on the hook for Joe Lacob. But if you if you don't offer him, if you if you offer him that, and he then he turns it down and goes somewhere else as the Warriors organization, then you come out looking good. Look, look, we wanted to take care of KD. We wanted them here. He didn't want to be here. Best of luck. And they're going to offer it to Clay. Because you still got to play the PR thing too, and they want Clay to be there, and then there's no reason not to think that Clay wouldn't come back just as strong as he was before he tore his ACL. The Achilles injury is, is a little bit different, so I do think they offer it, but it opens it up for all these other teams that if if you thought that KD was going to come to your team with another star, now you now you have to wonder. So if it's Kyrie, do you want Kyrie to be your guy? For just one year, if your team, like if you're the Knicks, you want Kyrie there when your team isn't going to be very good and it's just Kyrie and Kyrie is not exactly bringing any sort of culture to that Knicks organization, then that, I think that's where it gets tricky. But I think I'm with Adam here. I think the Warriors offer both of them the max. And you know what's interesting is over the last week as this KD thing has, I mean, now it's turned into an entire Warriors thing, but this KD thing has really come to a head. Um I don't think it's any coincidence that the Kyrie to Brooklyn stuff has really heated up and felt like that's almost now a done deal, you know, according to reports. And then Kemba Walker saying now Charlotte's his first priority. And even the idea that um, Mike D'Antoni, who seemed to be on the on the outs with uh, with the Rockets, all of a sudden now we're hearing like, oh, they might be close to an extension for D'Antoni in Houston. Like, I think all of a sudden it's changed the landscape where other guys are going, all right, Durant's out for a year. Let's figure out what's in my best interest because my best interest is no longer I'm going to find a way to go to New York and be with with Kevin Durant. Right. I think it's worth also noting that, uh, excuse me, being out for a year also means the next year isn't probably going to be suboptimal for him. I don't think anyone comes back. I maybe Dominique, I think, but, you know, it's going to take even longer to get back. So you're talking probably you're not going to get to get peak Durant and you might not ever get peak Durant again either because he's going to be like what, like 33 after a year of rehab and then another year of like getting his feet wet. So um, again, th this is a real, so I guess what you're saying is the shark, the blood is in the water and everyone is now trying to figure that out in the attack. Right. But you don't want to be the team. And, and this is where general managers get themselves in trouble it, that you don't want to be the team that passes on Kevin Durant, because when he if he does, when he comes back, say, in like in a year and a half and he looks really good, even at whatever it is, 90 percent of what Kevin Durant is, you don't want to be that team that said, well, no, because we weren't really sure. It's like there would be like a team passing on maybe passing on Zion, even though if you thought that John Morant would be the better pro, you couldn't pass on Zion. Okay. I, yeah, you're right. I just feel like, oh, man, with an Achilles. Oh, it's a huge that risk. Age, um, you know, I know we have modern medicine is amazing, but man, it really freaks me out. I mean, but yeah, certainly is for the clay thing. Yeah, we think that what eight months and he'll be back to maybe better than he was before. So I think that feels better to me. But uh, but man, uh, it's a scary thing, which is probably why we're seeing tears and, and people are really upset about it in the, in the Warriors, you know, or just Durant fans themselves. And, and how weird is this, too? Like, just you can already picture it. Next year, Steph keeps them afloat, keeps them in the playoff picture. 
and then late in the season now, the addition of Clay and he starts to roll along. Like, how scary is that going to be for the rest of the league as as Clay makes his return late in the year? Right. Or or we go back to what I said before. If Steph then you know, so Steph had this long five year run, would it surprise anybody if Steph had some nagging injuries and sat out a bunch early? And the Warriors weren't very good, and then you went back and saw what the what the Spurs did to get Duncan. I can I can see that happening. If I could see it happening more if they were still an Oracle. Yeah. But that's tough in a first year of a new arena. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. going to be really tough. But uh, they might not have a choice because I could easily, you know, I don't even want to say it, but they're going to have to, uh, you know, they'd ride Steph to no end. Although in theory, if they know they could start the season without those guys, uh, they could probably tweak the offense a little bit to help other guys, you know, fill their roles better. Whereas they had to throw it out there without really any meaningful practices in the middle of the playoffs, which I think is part of the reason why, you know, their role players really kind of struggled to, to really fit in their offense. Right. It looked pretty scary when only Steph was out there for a while. Right. So Nick, that would be my question for you. How would, how would they do that? And also right now, we don't even know who's going to be on that roster. I know. Well, you know, how would you do that? I, part of it is just sort of knowing that that, that is your role and, and you have 40, 50, 80 games to, to really fulfill that versus in the middle of the Houston series, all of a sudden, uh, McKinney, you're going to have to be our you know, first big uh, first wing off the bench and you have to do that. So that's probably part of the problem. But you have the other issue. Yeah, is Livingston is kind of like a corpse of himself even though he looked okay maybe in the last game and a half. But Livingston is, is kind of done. Iguodala looks great on those lobs, so I don't think that it's like he's physically wearing down that much, but his confidence or his mental state on, on offense, except for last night, it really makes you wonder whether or not he's viable in their offense too because he just, his shooting is so uh, up and down. So that's the problem. They're handcuffed as far as, far as I know, right? They're not going to be able to sign anybody of import. Is that right? Well... That's a good question. I mean, I think, first of all, they got right now the, the Clay and KD things to figure out first, and then right. we see what their number looks like for, for next year. Obviously, they could get signed both of them, and then, as Noah, Noah points out, luxury tax becomes a huge issue. Um, who they'd be able to get when all of a sudden – you know, you take it away. I don't know what their their cap number looks like if Clay walks. I mean, and of course, KD walks as well. I think the the other part that's that's strange to me about this whole thing is we went from a couple of years ago of the Warriors looking like everybody that they put on the floor could shoot it. And they were this dynamic offense that would get up and down the floor and scare you. Now, granted, part of it's the league has sort of caught up to some of the things that they do and people are familiar with their style of play. But also just the way that their lineup has changed throughout the last couple of years and everything. And now you look, all of a sudden when KD goes down, and we figured they'd be without KD next year, like even when it was Clay and Steph out there for the finals, like it's almost like the Raptors now put out the blueprint of if you're going to stop the Warriors, this is how you do it. You, you force those guys off the line as much as possible, and then – leave Draymond and Iguodala wide open as, as often as you can. And, and yes, there were occasions, and we saw it even in, in game six, in which those guys hit big shots. But I don't think they're going to do it consistently. So I think, to me, it's like a question of how do you figure out a way to get shooters on the floor if you're the Warriors? It's crazy that we're even thinking about this. But for the majority of this series, like there would be two shooters on, on the floor. It was incredible to me that all of a sudden the Warriors' offense was somehow now the issue, which – we haven't thought about once, at least in the past five years. That Raptors defense was so good and so disciplined. It's That's what the rest of the league 
can't really figure out that you've got to be you've got to be that disciplined. You got to be that good. And what they did to Milwaukee, you know, it's kind of like the same thing they did to Golden State. They, you know, they forced other guys to hit shots and they bodied up and built that wall around Giannis. Well, the funny thing is, is the Warriors haven't always really been that deep in shooting. It's been very top heavy for a long time. And so, you know, even with like Earl Clark was their other sniper beyond the big three. So they've always sort of had the struggle finding those other shooters. And so they, and I don't think they're going to be able to pick that up. The thing that they did do last night, which really sucked about the timing of, of Clay's injury was they finally figured out that when they have Steph Curry run a high pick and roll and they double, and then he gives it up to Draymond and then he quickly runs, Runs around a Clay Thompson pin down. Now, when you run to Curry and they screw that up, and they did that a bunch of times where they ran to Curry and left the, the screener open, it's Clay Thompson who can then find a shot. They didn't do that until that last time and they got a bucket out of that, and then Clay gets injured right relatively right after that. And so I almost felt like that was the missing ingredient that they weren't doing when Clay was healthy. And it was weird to me because I don't know. They had a whole season to be playing with that and seeing how they can interact with these guys and get them open. And uh, they they just, you know, they only figured it out late. But it's not a criticism of the Warriors necessarily. There are lots of instances of people figuring things out late as well. I know it took me way too long to get settled in the right job. And it doesn't have to be the same kind of struggle for you if you turn to ZipRecruiter. What if you had your own personal recruiter to help you find a better job? Now, ZipRecruiter's technology can do that for you. Just download the ZipRecruiter job search app, let it know what kind of jobs you're interested in, and its technology starts doing the work. The ZipRecruiter app finds jobs you'll like and puts your profile in front of employers who may be looking for someone like you. If an employer likes your profile, ZipRecruiter lets you know. So if you're interested in the job, you can apply. No wonder ZipRecruiter is the number one rated job search app. My listeners should download the free ZipRecruiter job search app today and let the power of technology work for you. Don't wait. The sooner you download the free ZipRecruiter job search app, the sooner it can help you find a better job. But what's also wild is we wouldn't even be having this conversation if KD and Clay hadn't gotten hurt. Because if 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 KD and Clay are playing in this are playing in the finals, the Warriors win. The Warriors win the finals, yeah. and we're not talking about depth. We're not talking about oh they need more shooting this that. We're just not talking about any of it. Well, we're also if Clay didn't get hurt, we're talking about a game seven right now, right? Potentially. Mm, potentially, potentially, yeah. I mean, the dude had 30 points. I mean, like, come I, on. I, I, yeah, I, 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 I totally understand. And uh, and it's got to think. I would think that if Clay was on the floor in the fourth quarter, Steph wouldn't have done his one for six, and, and Fred Van Vliet wouldn't have had the 12 points in the fourth quarter and, you know, and outplayed, a, and outplayed Steph. What but we yeah, think about that last potential. shot, by the way, the, the hero shot, the, the, the Stevens lob uh, into a Curry shot. We like that one? I was fine with it. Steph, I mean, Steph got, Steph got a good look. Was it an ideal look? No, but for Steph, for Steph, that's a look. Steph Adam? can make that shot. Uh, I felt the same way. Like I, I, I felt like I, I. It was weird. I liked the play call. I didn't think it was necessarily executed correctly. And look, you're giving Steph Curry a chance to get an open look to to, um, you know, have a chance in in a game six. Like I, I think you you're going to take your chances with that. I think at that point it comes down to a to a coin flip. I. I don't know. Um, how how would you have run it, Coach? Well, you know, it's funny because on Twitter, people are yelling at me, and on the live show, we talked about it. Uh, but and but you? Um, yeah, a little bit. But did you say something about Izzo? 
Uh, <laughs> I, I, basically the equivalent. And so here's the thing. That play that they ran is, and, and I know Jared Weiss had said this because he covers the Celtics, they run that play like Stevens does when there's like four seconds left and you're down by two or three. But when you're down by one, the, uh, the defense can't follow you. Otherwise, the game's over pretty much. They're going to get two free throws, and they're going to – I mean, you don't want to take that chance. So I don't understand why they're not sort of running, get, getting something more toward the basket and going, knowing that they can't – they don't want to foul. And uh, you can maybe, you know, get that call if you need to by being aggressive. Uh, and then getting something, you know, going more toward the basket. And then certainly before going, you're kicking it out. The problem is, is Curry is going to his right. And I know he likes, like, going to his right. But for a righty, it's a harder shot. Now, they didn't have a choice because they had to inbound on that side of the floor. But uh, they had a choice of what they wanted to run. And they had nine seconds to, to do something. Yeah, right, right. So, um, I, and again, you're down, so you want to get a quick shot, a good quick shot. So that was probably why. And I also get it that it's probably the culmination of five long years. And they're just like, you know what? We're, we're down Clay. We're down KD. Let's just go for the home run. You saw Kerr, like, pat him on the back afterwards. Like, they just went for it. But I don't think it was the right, I don't think it was the right you know, in terms of risk slash reward. I just don't think it was the, 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 best, the best choice. So I think there are two ways to look at that. So I think that a two and trying to get the game to overtime would on a, no, you know. No, no. They're a, down a, one. Oh, down one, down one. Okay, so if you try to get if you try to get that two, then you, are you putting the are you putting the game in the hands of the officials too much that you're trying that you're trying to search for a whistle? Because I honestly think that they would have gotten the whistle if and if there was if there was any sort of contact. Here's the thing, though, and I'll let you finish your point. What was interesting was in the last three minutes, and I, this is begging for a b-ball breakdown. But those last three minutes, I mean. I don't know what was going on with the with the officiating and some of the calls that were late in that game. And so I, you were seeing it, guys getting touched on the wrist, getting, you know, three shots from three. But then you're also seeing Marcus Cousins shove Kyle Lowry, I think, out of the way. And then that's not called as an offensive foul. But then Lowry slaps, so tries to slap away the ball or someone tried to slap away the ball and Cousins loses it or what have you. I thought the oh. officiating late was so inconsistent that I don't know that you're getting a call late. But, no, I, it was just interjecting mm, yeah. on that. No, I, I think that, that was point. Draymond who just uh, got wrapped oh, up yeah, by Oh, yeah, the Lowry Draymond then... play, not Cousins. Yeah, that yeah Lowry, but, just... but Lowry was involved in both. And the block shot, which I thought was a clean block and uh, on the fast break. And there was oh, a foul call. Although, are we allowed to, like, I know it's a Brad Stevens play that he runs. Are we allowed to criticize the play because some other coach ran it? Like, if Brad Stevens called it out of timeout, you can't criticize Brad Stevens, right? That's how it goes? No. Uh, you, you, hey, listen, in their contract, in every NBA coach's contract, there's a clause that says that they are going to get criticized by assholes like me. So I think that they just acknowledge it. It doesn't matter who yeah. and how. Yeah. So, yeah. But, uh, well, you know, I think we should talk about the Raptors a little bit just because, you know, I, I, that's the worry. It kind of feels like the narrative is going to be uh, the Warriors, Warriors, Warriors injured, this and that, whatever, uh, this, refs, and we kind of are ignoring. So the video I'm going to do today, is just, I'm literally just going to focus on, on how they did it, how they scored to, you know, to get these buckets in. So, so let's, let's do that for a second because I, I don't want, you know, Raptors fans are already a little bit sensitive. And I feel like we want to, you know, at least at least let, let's get the merits of why they deserve to win this title. Wait, all right. So can we can we start with why Raptors fans are, are overly sensitive for a long time? So they so the Raptors <laughs> fan so the Raptors fan base always been one of the most vocal on on Sirius NBA radio. So they'd always call in, and and last year I was on board. Last year going into the conference finals, I thought I said, you know what, this this is this is going to be the this is going to be the year. And then they got swept. 
So you so so Raptors fans going into this season, we don't get respect, don't get respect, or even last year and the year before, we don't get respect. Well, the way the way you get respect is is by winning. And yes, time over time, you know, twenty years from now, even if they hadn't won the title, we'd look back on those Raptors teams and yeah, they they were pretty good. So you'd probably they'd probably get more respect twenty years from now. But you finally won, and you deserve to win. You were the better team for most of the entire series. You're the better team. So now you've got respect. So now hopefully you can say, well, look, you guys never gave us respect. Well, you, you never won. So relax. I love that breakdown, by the way. That's Thanks. interesting. The way that that's excellent. Noah, I, I'm curious about how this, they built this team. And obviously the Kawhi factor can't, can't be avoided. And what Masai did in general and, you know, we, we've all talked about it. This idea that Dwayne Casey out, Nick Nurse gets promoted. Uh, obviously, the trade of, you know, DeMar DeRozan, you try to maximize the one-year rental for Kawhi, plus bring in Danny Green. And then, in addition to that, you make the mid-season move to get Marcus All. Like, all the right buttons were pushed. And Noah and I have talked about it on our podcast even a round or two ago, right, Noah? Like, the, we were talking about the idea they got to the Eastern Conference Finals, and I think maybe even to when... But I think even before they got to the finals, we were saying, you know, was it worth it to get Kawhi? And it was like, yeah, I guess it is worth it. They got this far, you know, to get Kawhi, at least yeah. to the to the finals. Now to win it, obviously the whole thing is is worth it and all that. Um, but I'm fascinated by this idea that there are no guys that were top 10 picks on this roster. Now, granted, they didn't just develop all of them. They acquired them in different ways, guys like you know, Kyle Lowry and obviously Gasol and, and Kawhi, but Ibaka, but none of those guys was a top 10 pick. And Kawhi was the highest, I think, at, at 15, um, you know, but it's just fascinating to me. I, it begs the question of as you're approaching building a team, do you need to trust the process? Well, you better hit on you better hit on a lot of those other picks, because that's what that's what the Warriors did by hitting on Clay, hitting on Draymond, and then you get those guys on rookie contracts. And that's what the Raptors and that and that's what the Raptors are able to do with Van Vliet. Um even OG who who didn't play and you'd you'd expect mm-hmm. him to be better next year. Uh Norman Powell and um Siakam. and Siakam and Siakam of course. Yeah. 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 I mean I think I think it was I think it was the nine I think it was the Jazz, those uh, the ninety eight Jazz, I think was the last team to reach the finals without a pick in the top like 13 or something like that. I think it was Wait. in the 60s. I think it was in the 60s or something. Right, I because just, the Jazz had, you know, Stockton and Malone were drafted high. Yeah, but no, they were not. But uh, Stockton and Malone. on the number you use, but I think it's Stockton and Malone top, weren't top 10 picks. I think if you go within, like, it's got to be the number you use, but I think in, like, within the top 15 or something. Okay. Something like that. Or huh. under, I saw, I think it's 66 we're talking about or something, something in the 60s. By the way, interesting uh, factoid. OG, as you bring up, first Indiana Hoosier to win an NBA title since Isaiah Thomas. Wow. Yeah. That's interesting. I mean, I don't know what that means, but it's interesting. Yeah, I don't know. Oh, here it is. All right, so it was the – I knew I had tweeted something about this, and I found it. All right, so the – so no lottery picks in the starting lineup. And I wrote, I can't find a conference champion without a top 14 pick in its NBA final starting lineup. And the 98 Jazz are the closest with Carl Malone at 13. Aha. Okay. That's good trivia. Really good that trivia. Is. That is. So, um, so I have a question for, for you guys. So, so where do we think then, what do we think the league looks like next year? So let's, <laughs> let's, 
I mean, it's some assumptions here, but let's, but I mean, some of it, we also feel like we can round it. We can sort of start to figure out what's going on. So, all right, Kawhi Leonard, um, I still would assume that, I mean, he's the, obviously the biggest question in basketball right now. I think Kawhi has given no indications that he's going to stay. And it's wild because I know there's more and more pressure for him to stay. Now he's won a title, but I sort of feel like he's done his job. He's the greatest one-year rental of all time, as Mark Jones told Noah and I on our our podcast. Like, what happens now to Kawhi? I think he ends up going to the – I think he goes to the Clippers and and, uh, we call it a day. I, I, I think he walks. But I think it starts there. But I'm curious as to what you guys think the league looks like next year based upon free agency and the rookies and all that. Yeah, I have no idea. I have no idea. But what a great job by Doris Burke to get that question in Kawhi at the podium yesterday. What a really just a, a, a terrific job. So I have no <laughs> I, I have no idea where Kawhi is going to be. Um, but if he leaves, then it's, you know, he'll, he could have, he'll have his number retired. That too will be retired in Toronto. And which is which is crazy. And there's there's no PR hit either way. He did his job and and the Raptors did theirs. So you could have so he so he could be gone. And then is if when he leaves or if he leaves is then did they move on from Kyle Lowry or try or try to move on from Kyle Lowry? I think the I think also speaking of point guards, I think Mike Conley is a is a big question if you know, when whenever they draft John Morant and then Anthony Davis. And I I know this is going to sound a bit morbid, but. I thought when uh, when Clay and when Clay went down, one of one of my I'd say maybe first fifteen thoughts was, well, if Mike Connolly stays in the West, I guess he'll finally make an All Star team. Oh yeah, I don't have any That's faith true. that he'll play. He'll be healthy enough, right? I just don't feel like it's in his cards anymore. But here's this interesting thing: the East is East is better in the West, right? The East could be better in the West next year, like if, definitively. I feel like. Well, uh, I think that comes yeah, down I mean, to a lot yeah. has to do with you know, if uh, what happens with Jimmy Butler and and Tobias and Tobias Harris. Um, what happens maybe even with Malcolm Brogdon if uh, when if Brogdon leaves the Bucks? Yeah, I think there I think there are still I think there are still questions. Do we, do we think that Brogdon's going to leave? I have no idea. I think I think so. I think some team looking for a point guard could offer him a whole lot more money than than the Bucks think he's worth. I mean, Although, even a different situation, even a different right. situation, he might prefer. And and plus, we don't know what's going to happen with the Celtics. Another interesting one is that Marcus Hall has a player option. I'm looking at it now at 25.5 for next season with the Raptors. Like, that's an interesting one. He's probably got to opt into that, right? Regardless of what happens to Kawhi. I mean, that's setting him up. Plus, I mean, as we always talk about, he won't have to pay for dinner again in Toronto. So. <laughs> Well, and you and you know he, he well he likes to plant he likes to eat from his own garden too so I, I don't know what the uh, gardening situation is in the winter up there in, in Toronto. <laughs> wow, that sounds like a lot of code uh, to me, Noah. But okay, fair enough. No, no, it's true. He's like a, he's a, you know he's a big uh, gardening guy. Green thumb. Green. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. No, he, all right. Good so, to know. And, well, I mean, you bring up the point though, Nick, that whether the East is is much better. I mean, but. But Noah's right. I mean, first of all, if Jimmy Butler and Tobias both decide to walk from the Sixers, Sixers are still going to be good. But now we know that the Nuggets are going to be – I mean, the Nuggets were awesome this year. They're only going to be better next year. They're one team that's going to be helped by, you know, sort of that, that fortitude. But then you, you go beyond that. I mean, what do the Blazers look like next year? Obviously, the Clippers could be much better. And if LeBron ends up with a, a partner over there, all of a sudden we could see the West – 
back to being this power. I mean, if Kawhi goes to the Clippers and let's say who's who's going to be the guy that makes sense now for LeBron? Who's he going to end up with? Middleton? I mean, that's or Butler. I mean, does that? Yeah. Or let's say it's Jimmy. Let's say Jimmy Butler that goes to the Lakers. I mean, does that make them now? Could we? I mean, if the Raptors fall because they lose Kawhi. I mean, I think the Bucks are still going to be good regardless of what happens, obviously. Right. And I think Pacers well, are going to get Oladipo back. We could see some balance. Maybe yeah, the, actually, the top that, yeah, and don't forget, uh, the Lakers probably get AD, right? It kind of feels like maybe that's where it's going. Yeah, certainly, it certainly feels it certainly feels that way. But this is, I mean, uh, this is what we said at the top. Like as as wild as the finals were, and, and it was every single game was 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 nuts with all sorts of different subplots. This is what we're setting up for. Is it's the perfect lead-in to an all-time chaotic off-season and an unpredictable regular season. Finally, finally, we're gonna have a, right. a fully unpredictable regular season, and and then also, how does the load management with Kawhi? How does that play out across the entire league? And right. I think then that that'll be the big subplot also next year. So it sounds like this Kawhi ends up being maybe the fulcrum here, and everyone's maybe keeping their eye on him. I think they're also keeping their eye on, I guess, what the AD trade thing will happen. But those got, I guess, are those the two dominoes we're really looking at right now? Kawhi probably being the, at the top. I think Durant is the other huge oh. one. I mean, regardless, and and what I, I only say it because I think in a way it may dissuade you. Like, I, that's the other thing. Like, if the idea, again, like, go back to the point I was making earlier, if the idea was going to be Durant and Kyrie or people had mentioned Kemba in New York, like, uh, are those guys going to want to do that? Do you? I mean, Kyrie's not going to want to have another year where he's just sort of hanging around. Well, and then, as you talked about, Nick, year two might also be a wash. But if, Kyrie's if going to the Nets. 100%. No, I know now. That That's sort of my oh. point. That, like, you talk about, like, who's the guy that, like, is, is causing the other dominoes to fall. I think in a way like Durant's decision might, might cause some other dominoes to fall too, because I think now we're talking about Durant's now, whoever he joins, instead of now being a power, they're going to be in a rebuild mode for the next year and a half. But if you're, if you're the Nets and you've, and you've built that culture of toughness and grit and, and a very stable organization, do you want Kyrie solo if, even if it means that KD is coming in a year and a half, like what, how Kyrie could just topple your entire organization in one year and your every single day feels like a month waiting around for KD. Wow. The, welcome to the, the Kyrie slander podcast today, folks. Um, wow. Is no. it really, is it really Deserve, the case? Deservedly so. Okay. I mean, I mean I, I'm, I'm telling you, I go back to last year, game seven, Eastern conference finals when he wasn't on the bench. And I remember I was on the radio that day, after they lost, he was he was not on the bench. He had, he had it was Memorial Day weekend, and he had emergency deviated septum surgery, which just doesn't exist. And he had to fly <laughs> to I think he had to fly to California for it. So right because there are no doctors in New England or even in Boston who could do that, and, and especially over Memorial Day weekend, it just it, it can't happen. And he wasn't on the bench. And Terry Rozier pointed all year to Kyrie. Kyrie was the guy that like held him together. And then Rozier goes out there and goes 0 for 12. And I remember I got on I got on the radio that day, or that, yeah, right after the game, and was saying that that to me was a huge red flag. And if Kyrie's just even on the bench, if he's even on the bench, it would be significant. And uh, and I got a text from Bill Simmons while we're on the air, and he said, "Is it?" He said, "Really? This? What's the number? I'm calling in." So he calls in and he says. 
No, I, that is your big takeaway from this game. All right, well, now let's fast forward a year and Bill's saying the same thing. I'm telling you, he, Kyrie took down that organization on that very last day of their season two years ago. On the, on the last day, the Eastern Conference Finals, and he wasn't there on the bench. And then this whole season, they, they could never figure it out. Wow. Well, I don't, I, I, don't, I don't want him as a solo act. Well, it's interesting. A lot of the stuff with Kyrie where he can be extremely charming and, and likable, and there's a lot to like about, about Kyrie, and certainly in terms of his playing style and everything. And um, Isn't Rod Strickland his godfather? Or, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, the way that Kyrie finishes is incredible. His handle's unbelievable. The way yeah. he's developed his game through the years and all that. I, there's so much about his playing style that I, that I love, and I have a question about it that I want to ask you, Nick. But I also think there's some weird stuff with him. It's like with he was the way he sometimes he can be passive aggressive in terms of motivating his teammates. You know, when he was frustrated with his guys and he said, you know, I talked to LeBron and uh, realized this is what he was going through with me. Like it felt so inauthentic. Like that's the thing I think with Kyrie that comes across sometimes. And I'm not ripping him, but it does feel oftentimes like there's a lack of sincerity. But I'm super curious, though, Kyrie Irving. And D'Angelo Russell, I've been asked this question by multiple people, but I'm curious from coach's perspective, like how do you make that backcourt work? Yeah, I don't think you do. I think that, you know, for, when you get the best of D'Lo, it's, it's with what he has the ball in his hands all the time. Uh, I don't see how that works together at all, right? I mean, how, how, his... about, how about defensively? I mean, how could you even have them on the floor at the same time? Yeah, you know, that's true. There was because I could have done a video on him, um, you know, on, on, on Russell and, and his defense and how bad it was. Every once in a while, though, he does, it's in there. He has some ability to kind of get in the right position. But yeah, that's a real problem. You're right. It's a real problem altogether. And you can't have Kyrie as a number one. You're right. Under any circumstances anyway. So I, I get all that. I'm missing that. By the way, it reminds me of when McMenamin came on here and like broke the news that Kyrie didn't speak to his teammates in Cleveland for like the entire playoffs or something like that. Right. Do you remember that in like 2017 or whatever that was literally like didn't speak <laughs> and uh, it was confirmed and everything. I couldn't believe it. So he's a weird bird. I suppose if that, you know, I like some of the conspiracy stuff, but uh, I guess other than that, it's a, it is a problem. Ah, uh, duck. Uh, duck. Does, that's does, does all of this and this chaos and everything else, does this open the door for the rockets to be, maybe the best team in basketball next year? Like, does the path just somehow open for them that their one, their one uh, roadblock was the Warriors? And now if the Warriors organically sort of fall apart, not by anything that the, that the Rockets did, like, what's to say now? Why should the Rockets feel like they are not the best team in basketball right now? No, that's a good question. And, and I, I think that they might feel like they are. And then, but when their season happens and if Chris Paul can't stay healthy and defenses somehow figure out James Harden, I don't know. I mean, I, 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 would, I, would just keep, I would just keep looking at the rest of that West and seeing who else is getting better. Well, they should just swap out Chris Paul for Kyrie Irving. Oh. I don't think it's, I don't know. I don't know anything <laughs> about that. But I was like, hey, you know, I, but the, I, no one wants that, Chris That'd Paul. be quite the defensive backcourt, huh? Yeah, right. But hey, they, they, it hasn't been in much. I mean, okay, because Chris Paul is a good defender, but uh, they've been able to skirt by with like with Harden's issues and whatever defensively. 
But um, but nobody wants Chris Paul either, right? Like that's a contract no one's going to want to touch, and yeah, uh, and that's why the Rocket. And by the way, so I don't know if Chris Paul is going to maintain. You know, he's going to go. He's not going to be as good next year just by age, right? Oh yeah, yeah, and he's also one of the most overpriced contracts in all sports right now, yeah. based upon his ever. number. I mean, so, yeah, but, but, ever. But yeah, LeBron, Le- LeBron would take him. Oh. Absolutely. Well, you take Jason Kidd, too, as an assistant coach. So we, we know that for sure. Nick, what, what did you think? I, I joked last night on, on Twitter about the fact that now with Nick Nurse, his first year head coach and his incredible journey to become the head coach, that he's now the official coach, Nick, and you can no longer go by that moniker. I'm, oh, I'm curious, though, what you thought of his coaching job, not, not about him stealing the name Coach Nick. You know, I thought every move he made really worked out beautifully for him. He'd put in a guy, and then, like, Serge Ibaka gets 18 points, and, and then Fred Van Vliet hits every shot. Every time he made those kind of moves that were great, I do think overall he was a little bit slow to make some adjustments, but he did do them, and that was important. Like, for instance, Kyrie didn't guard Giannis the first, like, two games of that series, and they finally did it, and then it, was, uh, it was changed the whole series. Um, there were some severe clock management issues that we saw in game five. Uh, he, there was a moment in game six where they could have called a timeout and they probably should have, and he didn't. And it almost felt like he was like, after the, after the debacle of calling two timeouts in a row in game five, he's like, I'm not going to call one now. Um, so, but then again, he's learned, like you go through the experience and it's really a, a hectic thing. Like you ask Steve Kerr and he's like, yeah, it's it, when you're in that and it's your first time, like in the finals, things are fine at you. It's really hard, no matter how well you prepare. So now that he's gone through the gauntlet, I suspect that those issues are probably going to go away for the most part, too. So what you have left, though, is, you know, uh, he's got a really good, solid foundation. People are criticizing him for his offense not being that exciting. And by the way, did you guys notice they parked Kawhi in the right corner and let uh, Lowry and Gasol run high pick and roll like down the stretch? Uh, you know, for four or five possessions in a row, maybe like that was kind of startling to me. And I'm looking at it again. Um, so, yeah, he, he definitely, you know, he earned his the title and he definitely made a lot of good moves. I think most of it is lineup issue more than anything else and, and being able to pull the strings on, the, on who to sub in the right way. Uh, so, yeah, he's, he's got to be up there. And, you know, it, first it was Nick Saban. I don't even know who that is, but that's another Coach Nick out there that I've had to be, deal SEO-wise. <laughs> um, some football guy, right? And now it's Nick Nurse. I'm, hey, I'm in here. I'm in it to win it. So if I got to wait another five years or so, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to overtake those guys. Five? I don't know. You know, it's, you know, listen, search engine optimization for Coach Nick is, uh, is uh, you know, a, a long-term goal. A long-term goal. Well, also, I mean, look, Nick Nurse just won an NBA title, and he – and he, beat, and he beat the Golden State Warriors. I, I don't think any time should be spent on wondering or, yeah. or, or questioning uh, lineup changes. But, but is he on Twitter is a question. Yeah, he <laughs> His brother is on you, Twitter. So, do, you yeah. think that, do you think that we're going to see um, a change in, well, two things, I think, that come out of this whole thing in terms of we understand how the NBA can sort of be a copycat league because owners start to get nervous and all that kind of thing. Two things about the Raptors winning it that, that make me curious. For the longest time, we didn't have a first-year NBA head coach win a title, and now we've had three since Kerr, Lou, and, and Nurse did it. So do you think, A, there'll be less emphasis on who the actual head coach is, maybe, or, or giving a first-year head guy an opportunity? That's the first question. And then the second one is, just in terms, again, going back to how other teams will be influenced by how the Raptors have done this, this all-in mentality, the idea that you've got a very good team, forget the Kawhi part, just already, they were very good near the top of the East, 
and still decided to mess with chemistry, bring in Marcus Gasol, and make some changes at the deadline to push them to be potentially even better, but you maybe mess with the chemistry. I'm curious from both of you guys, like what you think of those two things, the influence of the Raptors on the rest of the league. Yeah, I think there's going to be less concern about a guy with just his first-year head coach, and also I think this should this should squash some of the players who say, oh, you know, a guy never played the game, this, that. Come on, enough. And I'm, and I'm so tired of hearing that from the players anyway. So I think I think that I think that narrative will be squashed a bit. And then with the chemistry stuff with the Raptors, I mean, I don't I don't think there was I honestly don't think there was any real risk. Like even when the Kawhi trade happened, it said, all right, well, they obviously know what their ceiling is with this current group. So if they don't think they can get to the finals, then all right, well then make the deal. And and they didn't think that they were good enough um to win it all before they made that Gasol trade. So and and I think having Gasol I think Gasol and Ibaka knowing each other and having a previous relationship with um, the Smash National team, I think that helped with that transition of, well, Gasol, whether he's going to start or Ibaka's going to start, and, and then those two uh, being on the team, I think that helped also. Wow. Yeah, well, here, here's the thing I'll say about coaching hires. Thank God we've gotten out of this this huge, long era of either retread coaches and not to say like Bill Fitch wasn't like a good coach, but those guys that would kind of like have mediocre years, but they can constantly be being rehired, rehired. We've gotten away from that. We've also gotten a little bit away, I think, from these these uh, these players, these ex players like the Jason Kids being hired as coaches a little bit, the Derek Fishers. And so to me, that's also good. Although it's a little bit more of the uh, Sam Mitchell era that I feel like uh, we're we're moving away from too. Like maybe Nate McMillan. I guess Steve Kerr counts to some degree as that that kind of guy. Although he sort of went a, a different path. And so to me, that's good. I feel like uh, for too long we had the same kind of coaches be, just being retread in the same style of way they're hiring. And so now that we're out of the box, that that is a really important thing. I think because what you see is. When you have to coach, like Nick Nurse is coaching a lot of different leagues and a lot of different talent levels and stuff, so he's had a coach out of a paper bag. Sometimes you get the other guys who haven't had that experience and they just don't have the, 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 the knowledge and the ability to do that, and they just say, assume, oh, I got NBA players, they're going to figure it out. And so, so we're, we're in a good situation now. I'm really happy to see that. Noah, yes. Well, well, well I, yeah, I do, I do think it's interesting, though, that there are a bunch of coaches in the league, I think it's like seven or eight, that have coached three or more teams already. And they're all really successful. So that that's why I that's why I would go against the just calling them retreads and not an inspired hire like Terry Stotts and even Rick Carlisle has coached three or four teams. Um, Mike D'Antoni, Nate McMillan and the and the Nate McMillan hire was um was crushed when it happened. Like what why right. would you just go I mean even uh even Alvin Gentry has, has coached a bunch of teams. Um you know, yeah. Quinn Snyder Quinn Snyder's done it. Uh Steve Clifford is on his second team. So I, I don't um Wait, Quinn Monty, Snyder Monty wasn't the head coach, was he? No, no, I'm sorry. I'm yeah, I'm sorry. Steve Clifford I meant. And so there okay. are so there so there are coaches that have that have had two or three or even four, like Mike D'Antoni, different spots. So I, I, I don't I don't I don't I don't agree with the blanket statement of a guy who's just a, a retread. Fair enough. I, I think it's. I think. I think the point I was making was that it just seemed like there were even more of those, you know, the ten years ago or twelve years ago, where that was just sort of the the, the de facto hire for all, like most teams. We we would have instead of the seven or eight, it would be fifteen to eighteen, you know, whatever. I, and I, I know I could be wrong a little bit on that one. It just felt like that was sort of like the the mo for most teams was to do that. And I and I would like to see it. I like to see out of the box stuff and try something like you know, hey, hire a YouTube coach to be an assistant coach on the NBA bench. Like that would be. <laughs> 
insane and would never happen. But you know what? Who knows? Maybe that would happen too. I don't know. But um, you know, you could change a culture in those meeting rooms, Nick. Yeah, absolutely right. Because you know, from my vast experience. So uh, you know what? I get more experience dealing with culture talking to you guys than I do uh, having a, a basketball team. But we have another part of that question, which was uh, about uh, uh, assets, right? And how are they? Are they assets? Are they chemistry? Is it real? Well, you know, for for all the times we see the Raptors do it well and kind of you know in Circus Hall and it all works really well, uh, you know, the 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 Rockets are probably a decent example of Moray kind of dealing them as them with chess pieces rather than actual people, and it doesn't always work that way. So. Um, you know, that's another issue as far as like, I don't know if it always works. Like, you know, you have to you have to pay attention to that. And I think Noah's point about the Spanish national team, which I didn't even think about, it, was a really good point where that there was already some built in chemistry there. Uh, and with so that Lowry and Lowry. Lowry and Gasol and Lowry and Gasol. Now, right now, the other problem, though, is, is you know, Chris Paul, you know, is another kind of guy who isn't always great with chemistry. Right. So that could be the thing that could have uh, interrupted that all thing. No matter what they if they swap out Ariza and they do all the other things with those things that didn't maybe work so well, you know maybe Chris Paul is just his personality is also very difficult as we saw in in, uh, in L.A. So it could just be a specific player too. So, guys, uh, this was great. Adam, I almost feel like you kind of took over and, and it was your podcast for a second, and I was the guest, but that's cool too. Hey, no, I love whoa, asking the whoa, co- whoa 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 is that? I mean. Kind he just means that I that, ask questions. That, that's how good that Adam is. He's like, no, <laughs> he, I, no, I like. I honestly, I like hearing from the from the both of you guys, and I I learn a lot from from each of you, and uh, it's great to consider you both friends. This has been uh, a lot of fun. Noah and I have been having a blast over on uh, over on our uh, our podcast, and anytime we get a chance to join in on the uh, b-ball breakdown, it's it's a win for us. Oh yeah. Yeah, and then it was great to have you guys both on. We never do. I usually do a, a pairing. I tried to get Nate and Danny on together, and uh, I only got Nate. But hey, this will be the start of something new. So t- tell us more, but more of the format of your guys. It's just a conversation. You guys bring in guests. Are you doing? How often are you doing it? Give us all the information. Yeah, we do it once a week. We record on Tuesdays. Comes out on Wednesdays. The podcast is Catch and Shoot from Pure Hoops Media. So we usually uh, have a little bit of nonsense off the top, and then have some topical hoops conversation. We try to make it a little bit different than, you know, a lot of the basketball conversations out there. And then we go deep into, you know, the podcast usually lasts, you know, 45 minutes to an hour. Then we go deep in with a guest. So we usually keep a guest between your 30 and 40 minutes and try to go different places and ask different questions um, that they've been asked before. We're not looking for canned answers at all. So, Everyone from Rick Barry to most recently Avery Johnson, uh, Sean Elliott, Mike Breen, really got Mike Breen to uh, to open up about you know his family and, and relationships with with Mark Jackson and Jeff Van Gundy. We've got uh, Adam's buddy Matt Walsh coming on next week before the draft since he's you know part of the uh, part of the group with R.J. Hampton in, in New Zealand. So it's it's a very it's a very different type of basketball podcast. And then at the end we just probably spend 10 minutes just, I mean, we call it off the rails and it is, uh, I mean, I told a few Doc Emmerich stories this week. Adam has told stories that I, that I can't believe he would even put his name to <laughs> being a, a sports anchor in all sorts of different, uh, markets across the U S great description. Yeah. A lot of storytelling. I think that's the big one. We love to tell stories the both of us do. And, uh, we love to just a different approach to, to the game. And, you know, to, there's so many podcasts, there's so much content out there, so few of it that's good. I mean, obviously, as as your channel 
is, uh, Coach. But I think really we're, we're trying to have fun. We do a lot of complaining as well. I think that's a big part of the podcast. But really we both appreciate appreciate the art of the interview and really learning about some of these guys that you sort of think you know before they jump on, whether it's George Carl or Sean Elliott or you know, Steve Javi or, or someone like right, that. Steve but then Javi, once yeah. we get them on, all of a sudden you're like, wow, I never knew that that about them. So and Noah asked some awesome questions, and I try to uh, ask them some interesting stuff too. So it's been a lot of fun. I've, I've really had a good time. Awesome. Well, those are some really impressive guests. You know, I'm anxious to get on there and start listening to some more of them. And uh, thank you guys for doing this. I really appreciate it. Thank you all for listening to this uh, great conversation. And uh, Stanko and Cause, I think that could be your new, you know, maybe your stand-up uh, routine uh, name. What do you think? I think Kaz, I'm in. Kaz, Kaz comes first. Kaz and Stanko? All right, I don't know. We'll figure it out. All right, well. I know that's the deal. Thank you so much for being here. And don't forget, sports fans, at B-Ball Breakdown, not a channel, we're a conversation. You win. Are you in, guys? Always. In. <laughs>